is like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Coburg and or Corey Star. How you doing, hello. Corey? Hello, hello. I'm good, how are you? I cut you off, I apologize. Well, it's okay. So, we are here this week, um, the second week of uh, Speaking My Language theme in August 2020. We're going to be talking about uh, Jean-Luc Godard's film Breathless from 1960, which is a French film, and hence why it's on this uh, month's list. It's a film that I picked um, because it's a major one on my gap list, as I... Uh, I am a student of film, I study film, I teach film, and uh, Breathless is considered a classic by almost any list, and I have not seen it. So it made sense to throw it into this mix. Um, plus, it was available to watch on HBO Max, uh, if you have a subscription to HBO Max. It apparently is only on Max, though, so if you have like just a Go, which is supposed to be dead, um, in other words, if you don't have a way to log into HBO Max, it will not play for you, but you can rent it on other services. Um, as Corey learned the hard way. So, Corey, how you doing? I'm fine. I, um... What was I going to say? Oh, that we did a little research and HBO Max is not available on the Roku or another device. Fire, uh, the Fire TV sticks and or mm -hmm. Fire TV. Yeah, I thought that I was just losing it, but <laughs> you found yeah. that then. Um, and that should be remedied at some point in the near future, but there's some kind of contract dispute, um, which happens a lot with all, there's all these different licensing that has to be approved and whatnot. It gets, it gets complicated. So, so nuts. Um, this is, uh, we're recording a day later than we normally do, which is why, um, the podcast may have gotten to you a little later than it normally does, but, um, it was my birthday, which isn't the reason why we didn't record, but nonetheless, um, it was my birthday and, uh. I don't even remember what I did. I think I just, I mean, we can't do much. Uh, we did celebrate, like we, we, uh, bought wings from a, a local grocery store and a frozen pizza for dinner because I don't normally eat pizza. I let myself have pizza last night. And then, um, we had some cupcakes cause it was just the three of us. Um, and I did, uh, get a sub from uh, Jersey Mike's for lunch yesterday, which was real good. And uh, then, uh, yeah, you know, that's pretty much it. But um, ate a lot of calories yesterday, but then I ran five miles this morning. Uh, one more mile than I normally do. Nice. And I almost, um, I, my goal is to get to a 10-minute mile. Like, on my first mile, not, I wish I could do all the miles like that. I pretty much run the first mile, and then I walk, walk slash run the rest of it. And uh, I, I ran my mile in 10 minutes and 9 seconds, and I was very nice. mad. Yeah, I was mad, though, because it was only nine seconds. Like, I feel like I could have trimmed nine seconds had I known I was that close. Mm. Uh, but I thought I thought I was under. And so, like, I was, like, pushed at the end, but I could have probably pushed it a little longer had I realized I was going to go over. Still pretty happy with it, but I thought I, thought I hit that 10-minute mark. Um, so I was excited, but a little disappointed. But still, it's still really good. It's still, still my close. best time. Yeah, it, it is my best time. And, you know, the day after my, my 38th birthday. So I was like, hey. You know, I've ran the fastest mile in my life the day after I turned 38. So, um, it was a big deal, but 
Um, anything else uh, of interest for you, Corey? Mm. No. No hurricanes in Idaho, I, I take it? No. Um, no, but we need to talk about this. Oh. First of all, I'm a little mad, but we made national news. Well, not we. I live in Boise, but a neighboring town, Nampa, was on national news because some man found a gator in his yard. Okay. Um, Gators don't live in Idaho. They're not like... Oh, okay. You know, they're not like a, a species that is here. Um, or an animal. I don't know. Anyway, so... I was a little mad to find out that it was someone's exotic pet or something um, that had gotten loose and that they keep it in a cage. But then my friend was telling me today that um, she thinks it's like a reptile, like, ref, I don't know what word it is, but, you know, that it's not just that they're keeping this gator caged up, you know, so they can say that they own a gator. But still, I thought that was, you know. Yeah, I mean. I definitely needed the context that it's not normal because literally like last week I was running and my my uh, home, I don't know what her title is, the, the woman who runs the community that we live in, um, she was like, be careful. We just had a, the, the wildlife people had to come out and get a gator that was in between two houses that are like not directly behind me, but like across the street directly behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a four foot gator in between their houses that they had to like take away because it wouldn't leave i guess on the same whatever. hope they released it that it, it that th- th- like if i had seen that alligator here i probably wouldn't have put two and two together which yeah because i'm from florida they're everywhere we used to have them in the lake behind our house they would come sun on the banks of our neighbor's yard you know yep. um so yeah i probably wouldn't have even thought twice about it but yeah, so when you were saying, I'm like, yeah, that happens. Um, yeah, everywhere, not, man. Not in Idaho, apparently. So, no. yeah. <laughs> no. um, well, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, again, that happened uh, here this week, like, literally behind my house. Not news. Nobody cared because, it's again, it's normal. There's gators everywhere here. Um, I literally look at one in my – we have, like, a little lake that I run around uh, in the morning. Not completely around, but I run past it. And I always, like, well, like, my part of my routine is to, like, where's the gator? There he is. Um you know, so, uh, today he was hiding a little bit though. Only his eyes were like popping up. Usually like his whole head is out and today. It was just his eyes. I'm like, Oh, I see you. Where, you. where you live. Yeah. There's like, you a, guys have a lake. I didn't know that. It's not technically a lake. It's like, it's not a pond. It's too big to be a pond, but it's, it is man-made and, um, but it's, it's large. Uh, so it's, it's, it's more of a lake than a pond, but it's, um, okay. I don't, I don't believe it's like, it doesn't have like a name or anything because it is like a private community water thing. I just, um, as many times as I've been there, I guess I've never, is it by the pool? It is by the pool. <gasps> okay. I know now. It's not the pool though, listeners. Just say it is. <laughs> they keep yeah. gators in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you got to keep it clean somehow, right? Uh, yeah. Who needs chlorine if you have a gator keeping all the people out? Um, but uh that should lead us into what we've been watching. So if you're new to the show, uh, we like to look back at other films besides the movie that we're going to be talking about in extensive review with Breathless um, since the last time we recorded. Um, Gore, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, so still making my way through. Um, I always want to start singing Vanessa Carlton. Uh, what is it? 5,000 miles. Um, 
so making my way through Parks and Rec. Mm. I'm in season six. I um, watched a movie. I think it's from 1972 um, called Patrick. It's an Australian horror film. Mm. And yeah, it's about a man in a coma with telekinesis. It was, it sounds really cheesy since I'm saying it, but I, I liked it. That was pretty interesting. Um, I rewatched, I was trying to find a movie that I already knew so that if I fell asleep, because I wasn't feeling well yesterday, I wouldn't be mad about it. So I rewatched 1992, I believe, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. Like and I forgot, yes, and I forgot how great it is, because I don't think I've really watched it as an adult, maybe. Um, but I was just like, oh my god, there's Ricky Lake in a five-second part. Or, you know, I just forgot all the cool people in it. And I remember seeing that in the drive-in in Auburndale when I was a very small child. And I watched I See You, um, which is on Amazon Prime. I think it's from 2020. It has Helen Hunt in it, and I'm not sure about all the other actors in it. But I liked it. I can't really talk about it because it'll, you know, give spoiler kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like anything I talk about could possibly. Um, but I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, it's like a mystery suspense thriller. And then I started watching um, on Shutter, Shutter original, La Llorona. Uh, not to be confused with the curse of La Llorona. Ah, okay, okay. I saw some people watching that. I I thought it was that movie, and then right, I saw that the curse in theaters and was greatly disappointed. But um, I'm glad that they dif- you know they like made that distinction too. I follow. I think I don't remember. I think he might be the CEO of a uh, Shutter, but um, he was like not the same, totally different. So yeah. I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I started watching The Curse of La Llorona on um, the plane back in October when I was coming back from Atlanta. And I don't I don't remember if I stopped because it stopped, like I ran out of time, or oh. if something was happening with like maybe it kept getting interrupted because like the, there was turbulence and stuff on the way home. So it might have been like because the, whenever the, the pilot comes on, it like freezes up. Um I can't remember for sure. I didn't finish it, and I never would have decided to go back to it because I wasn't that into it. Um, but yeah, is that, was that it? I didn't mean to cut you off if not. No, that's it. So I am uh, w- with uh, actually Big Tuna and uh, Matt. Uh, all three of us are partaking in the Fantasia International Film Festival, um, which is a Quebec-based film festival. And um, so uh, we we're under embargo for a lot of these movies for a few more weeks. So I can't give my feedback. However, I will preview the idea that um, the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast will be uh, reviewing many of these movies. Um, Matt and I are both watching a lot of the same stuff. We're going to be talking about those. Uh, we're doing our, our next episode that will have dropped uh, will drop on Tuesday. But if you're listening, depending on when you're listening to this, um, it'll be August eleventh. Uh, and um, I'm sorry, no, it drops on the the 13th we record on the 11th and uh it'll preview the uh, um some of the movies we're going to be reviewing for sure i think we're going to be talking about nine movies but just like what it is and whatnot and so some of these uh, that i'm about to list that i've watched are on that list 
Um, but again, I'm not giving any uh, opinions at this time. But if you follow BurkReviews.com or what I watch tonight.co.uk, you will see uh, the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast Plus. We'll be posting our preview episodes on uh, our, the movie cast. So if you're listening to Movie Club, you're already going to get the preview episode there as well. And Matt's going to be posting it on his back row um, podcast. So either way, if you're subscribed to any one of those three, you're going to get that episode uh, on Thursday um, as a little bonus for our, our listeners. But um, So I've seen a lot of movies this week um, because of that. Uh, but uh, one I can talk about, um, which my review is up for, is called The Burnt Orange Heresy. Um, it's, uh, it's a Sony Classics picture. And I really liked it. It's 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 got some a good a really good cast. Class Bang, Elizabeth Debicki, Donald Sutherland, and Mick Jagger, um, in a in an acting role, and he's not playing himself. Um, I thought he did kind of a good job. Uh, I I was a little surprised when I saw him on the list. Um, it's directed by Giuseppe Capitondi. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, I I found this movie to be very very engaging. It's a lot of dialogue, but it's just really well written and it's very snappy and the, the performances are just outstanding. So I was like really in, into it. It goes in kind of a weird direction, but I didn't dislike it, so I was still like on board. Um, but my review, my full review for that is up at Burke Reviews now. I would go to do these more if I could actually travel to the places, but a lot of times I can't afford to travel more than once or twice um, since my site is self-funded like i'm not some big publication or anything um we don't have that kind of income so if i could do that online though i would cover a lot more independent film it's been really cool uh being able to see so many films by so many different filmmakers who i've not heard of um and just gives me hope for uh the future of the 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 art um you know the other side of that doesn't give me hope is that theaters are probably going to close but you know <laughs> i don't know if it's do you keep i got i mean i know that they've been telling us that they're gonna reopen and they're gonna reopen mm -hmm. but like it popped up on the app the other day that they're reopening the 21st and yeah i mean that's less than two weeks away so i don't i don't know yeah i'm still apprehensive um like especially with disney putting mulan on disney plus um and i i saw a i did not read the article i saw a headline and it was enough for me to like oh boy is that they're considering putting Black Widow right to Disney Plus, and if that's oh. the case, um, those are two huge movies that would have had uh, a very good box office, um, given the track records. I mean, if you look at Disney's live action adaptations, they've all made a lot of money, and uh, live you know adaptations of their animated stuff. And then, um, and granted, Mulan was I think one of their lower performing animated films at the time, but it's it has a quite a fan base at this point. So I thought this one was going to do really well. And then Black Widow, I mean, Marvel has not underperformed. I think their lowest movie is like $200 million. So like... Um, that just blows my mind. Yeah, and you know, uh, and their biggest movies are over a billion. So like Marvel going right to Disney Plus, even with the... I, I feel like a little bit overpriced. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw that they're going to be renting Mulan for $30. And you oh, have I... to be at... What, you didn't know that? I didn't realize it was to rent. I thought you could go ahead and buy it. No, it is $30 to rent, and you have to be a subscriber to Disney Plus in order to rent it. So um, that means you're already paying, what is it, ten, it was seven, seven ninety nine, I think, if you just have Disney Plus. And you have to already be paying that to be able to then spend the $30 to rent Mulan. Um, and I'm not saying that's too high, 
I don't think I would personally pay that much money for that movie. Um, unless I can guarantee my wife and daughter want to watch it, because then if we were going to the theater, I'd be paying 30 bucks anyways. So I could maybe justify, uh, spending it as a rental, but man, $30 to rent. I almost would like, I'll wait six months and buy it, I guess, you know, for like 20. Um, I don't know. I would have seen it in a heartbeat in the theater, but same. So I felt like with that movie, the first trailer that they like released, I was not very interested but the last trailer that I saw, I can't even remember what movie it ran behind before. It's what are theaters, guys? Um, and I was just like a hundred percent in. The other weird thing that has happened um, in relation to this, uh, we don't usually do movie news, but since we're talking about it, um, they had pushed Bill and Ted um, Face of Music to September something i think the first or the fourth it's the first friday of september and they were going to do same same day theatrical and vod which is one of the first times they've done that um there's a whole dispute with universal over that they've now minimized time because of the trolls world tour um but this is not it's not a universal movie but i'm just as the precedent has been set um and now they moved it back up a week. Uh, it was it was already going to be August twenty something, and they pushed it back. And now they've moved it back up, I guess, in anticipation of the theaters opening. But I'm still holding my breath, guys. Um, especially, uh, literally, I might have to hold my breath for the entire two hours so I don't get coronavirus uh, because Florida is still a wildfire of virus spreading, um, and I don't want it. So uh, while I do go into public. Um, the they say the worst place you like for likelihood of getting it is uh crowded restaurants or bars because most people will take their masks off to eat and or drink the uh the spittle that comes out of their mouth can then be picked up in the air conditioning because while we think of it as like globs of spit it's microscopic spit that's really the nightmare and because the ac can actually carry some of those more microscopic size pieces when you're not wearing a mask it's more likely that you would inhale it and or excrete it and then uh, I just don't believe that people who don't want to wear a mask are going to wear the mask the entire movie. No, they're going to take it off as soon as the lights go down. Right. And and maybe maybe a, a, theater, a theater employee will try to get them to put the mask back on. But I just, I just don't. I've seen theater employees ignore blatant disregard for rules many, many times. Yeah. Um, and so I just... And I don't blame them because it's, it's usually a confrontation that you're not going to win because... If they say, I'm talking to your manager, most of the time the manager is going to give that customer the benefit of the doubt. Because that's the the way we've trained society in America, is that the customer is always right. Which is one of the worst things we've ever done. Um, and because, again, it, it's led to horrible entitlement. But um, I, I just I don't want to sit in a room for two hours... Where, with the same people who especially if they are neglecting the mask and even if they're not neglecting it if they're if they're literally only taking it off to put a piece of popcorn in their mouth it's still like it just seems like it's a bad mix and i really want to go back to the theater like this the going to the movies was for the longest time the only thing i really like to do that was considered quote-unquote social that like i was around other people and um Granted, it's not you're not talking to them if you're following movie etiquette properly, but uh, you know, it's still like I would like, oh yeah, I don't want to do anything, but I will go watch a movie, and I want that back. I want to be able to go back to the theater. I just don't want to get 
you know, a, a, an illness uh, in order to do so. So, no, because we would like to continue to be able to see movies, you know. Right. Yes. And do other um, things. <laughs> I really want to see Tenet, but I I'm so torn right. if I'm going to go and see it. Um, yeah. If it actually thought, happens. Oh, I thought they had already pushed it back. Uh, they pushed it back uh, just like a week, but um, they they went, oh. they delayed it inevitably. Um, or not. That's not the right word. They delayed it until further notice, but then that notice came that they're doing um, what they didn't want to do, which is splitting up the release schedule. So like, like places overseas are going to get it first um, because a lot of places overseas are actually functional. Unlike America, where we are still heavily spreading the virus and ignoring most of the <laughs> Don't protocols. Know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. We're just in denial that it's happening. Like we are the most stubborn, like we are the meme of the dog sitting in the burning building. And yes. just saying, oh, we're fine. Like it, we fine. have become that. Um, <laughs> that meme is my life it it really it's it's so crazy that it it literally embodies what is happening right now um but nonetheless uh we're gonna get into our review momentarily of breathless but before we do that we're gonna take a quick break for a sponsor so we are back and we are going to be giving our review of the film breathless for our uh Speaking my language, theme of August 2020, um, Breathless is again from 1960, directed by Jean-Luc Godard, written by Francois Truffaut, and um, Godard has a screenplay credit, although my understanding, he didn't actually write the screenplay, but he was uh, improvising and feeding lines to the actors, and so in that way he was writing on the fly. And then Claude Chabrol, as the another, uh, helped pen the actual script, stars Jean-Paul Belmondo, Jean Seberg, I almost added extra letters to her, um, hence Corey's nickname of Coburg this week, um, Daniel Bolanger, Henry Jacques uh, Hewitt, Roger Hannon, Van Dowd, and of course you do get Jean-Luc Godard as a, in a role um, as a quote, he's titled as The Snitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I uh, I am familiar with French New Wave. I'm not, I'm not super versed in it. The only, I think, other film in the French New Wave um, movement, and that should be clarified, this is not considered a genre. It is a movement, um, and it is a uh, methodology and approach to film, basically. is like how these filmmakers were going in. Now, as with most film movements, they didn't establish the movement and then start making the films. This was um, labeled as a movement like... Uh, German expressionism or uh, technically dogma 95 was a, I think an established, like they had a set of rules before they started making the movies. That's not usually how it's done. Interesting. Um, but uh, 400 blows is is the other new way film that I've seen, which is directed by Truffaut who wrote this script. Um, and then Francis Truffaut, if I'm uh, not, yeah, Francis Truffaut is also in close encounters of the third kind in a major way. He's the uh, French guy in that movie. Um, but he, uh, is he and Jean-Luc Godard um, basically are credited with like the idea of an auteur director. Um, there's a very famous interview series with Truffaut and Hitchcock um, to some degree where uh, it may not be. A, uh, there's a book, uh, Truffaut and Hitchcock. I assumed it was an interview. I'm starting to think maybe it's not an interview and it's just him talking about Hitchcock. Either way, um, the, the new wave movement does some things very, uh, very against traditional Hollywood filmmaking, especially of the era. But the biggest thing is they kind of throw continuity editing out the window and they utilize jump cuts. Um, 
it's jarring if you haven't seen a lot of films that have been inspired by New Wave or from New Wave because we are so conditioned to not see the cuts and New Wave wants you to be aware of the fact that it's a movie that you're watching. Um, and so they break the fourth wall a lot. Um, it's, it's a movement that I'm aware of, but again, not, I have not studied well uh, in terms of actually watching the, the work from the, the, the movement. I've read about the movement. I know what the movement is. I know the big names. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I picked Breathless is this is a film that I, I've come, it keeps coming up in other studies. Like if you, um, I had a, a, a unit I did two years ago with my uh, class that just graduated um, from, from my film program. Uh, we, we had them do a, uh, a jump cut video where like they, they were going to tell a story through jump cuts. So um, one group that was kind of my super group that year, they was, uh, they worked together multiple times. It had a lot of my star pupils and some of whom are hoping to pursue film as a career path. Uh, they did like a simple makeup thing, you know, like person putting on makeup, but um, to speed it up, you cut out the unnecessary moments. You just get like the highlight reel basically. And uh, there's very much mirrored one of my favorite scenes from the Royal Tenenbaums where uh, Luke Wilson's character is cutting his hair and beard. Um, aside from the aesthetic of the room, I think it's like a blue hue. Um, Wes Anderson utilizes jump cuts to speed up the process. So we're seeing him, you know, full beard, full long hair. And then by the end, he's completely shaved. Um, it's, it's just such a cool scene. And the way he utilizes jump cuts definitely inspired by this movement. So uh, I really enjoyed Breathless. Um, I wasn't sure uh, at first even because um, it does feel a little bit erratic at first because of some of the jump cuts. And it's, it's very kinetic. The movie is moving quickly. Um, again, same same reason because we're, we don't have to wait for things to happen. He's jumping ahead. So like where another movie, we might be sitting with someone driving silently for a while he cuts all of that out to only have the dialogue and only have the moments that matter. Um, and it was a little like jarring at first, but by the end of the film, I really had enjoyed it. Uh, I was really impressed with, with Seberg as an actress. Um, I want to watch the movie called Seberg with Kristen Stewart playing her. And I really do think that's solid casting just from like my experience watching this movie um, and thinking about how Stewart looks, I think she's going to very much fit the role. I've heard mixed things about the movie, but I like Breathless. Um, I think it's a really, again, a great example of what this movement was all about and uh, what Jean-Luc Godard was about. So, Corey, um, I, I don't know what you knew about this going into it. Um, Absolutely nothing. Yep. Uh, I thought that might be the case. Uh, it's, I mean, to be fair, it's, it, the movement doesn't last very long. It has uh, long-lasting ramifications, mind you, but it does... You know, it comes and goes, as movements should. Um, but it, it, it left its impact. So what did you think? I wish that I had known the things that I know now <laughs> from the couple of videos. Um, first of all, thank you for always sending me stuff that you also watch or read so that I can be better educated and more mm -hmm. prepared. Um, and then I found, like, a 10-minute one that I found very interesting. It kind of just, like, expanded on that first video that you sent me. So I wish that I had like watched that before I had watched the movie because I feel like I would have appreciated a lot more in the movie like I noticed the jump cuts you know it wasn't yeah, you... that oh go ahead no I mean you have to and that's again that's the intent like they want you to notice the editing like hey this movie's chopped up yeah and you know most of them were fine but there was one I think it I think it might have been at some point 
when they're both in the car that it felt like it jumped a lot and it I don't know that was like the most jarring to me I guess but I enjoyed it I actually would really like to watch some other movies in this you know that came from this movement I kind of think a lot of a lot of the things within the movement movement are pretty cool yeah I mean it's um the character here uh is very like um Michelle is the male character uh and then Patricia or I guess they just call her Patricia um is Gene Seenberg's character uh he is like awful about towards women like and yet he's clearly like really into her um and I, I having just seen Bonnie and Clyde recently and then uh finding out that um, Goddard was originally supposed to direct Bonnie and Clyde. Oh. Uh, well, that was in the video. That in the video, you, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, they took it away from him because he was, like, going rogue with it, which makes sense, given what I know about Goddard. Because um, that's kind of... The, the movement was saying, like, that there this is art. And remember that there's still a dispute to this day on whether or not film qualifies as art, which I think is preposterous. What? But there are some... There are people who have this... Um, entertainment mantra that it is strictly entertainment it is here solely as escapist fare for us to you know forget the woes of the world and be sucked into um explosions and and chaos and that there's no artistry to that which i will argue even the worst of films is has art elements i mean we have visual we have uh you know story creative writing um and there's so many different approaches and this these filmmakers who started the, this movement again, not knowing they were starting a movement, but be, just wanting to, uh, they were film critics who decided to, you know, try their hand at the craft itself, um, understanding the principles, understanding the patterns, they were able to uh, then break and shatter some of those patterns, and that um, is part of what art does, right? You know the rules, you know how to once you understand the rules or the guidelines or whatever you want to call them you're able to bend or break them in creative and useful ways. And that's how we get new film. Like that's why when you see people talking about genre films in a critical way, a lot of times they will say that it doesn't add anything or it doesn't do anything new with the genre. And it, that's just their way of saying, this feels like something I've seen before. And so it's not that it's bad. It just doesn't stand out amongst the crowd. Right. And the movies that we suddenly will do something new, like when get out came out, Get Out did new things with the horror genre. They subverted expectations. Jordan Peele subverted expectations. They used visuals that we hadn't seen before. He reinvents his horror language in a way that was easy to, for people to understand because he is very versed in cinema. But then did like just outstanding new things with it. And that's the key. And that's what this, this movement did is it took things that you were familiar with and it bent and broke them in ways that people hadn't seen before. And it got people excited again about the art. And uh, even now looking back at it, we see the influence that this genre still has, or this movement has on films of the era. Again, like Quentin Tarantino, really big advocate for this um, style of filmmaking. Uh, Wes Anderson utilizes pieces from it. Those are two guys that we consider Technically, they're auteurs. We call them a lot of times like Tarantino falls in the postmodern because so much of his movies is not original content. It's repurposing of someone else's content. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I I need to explore more of this for sure. Um, and again, it's a short lived uh, movement, so there's not tons and tons of examples from it. But uh, 400 Blows is the one that I, I assume you've probably not seen, right? I have not. 
Um, it's it's usually the one that people first will be drawn to for this genre. I would prefer, I, I would say Breathless is a better entry point. I found 400 Blows to be less engaging, mainly because it's a kid protagonist, and I just I didn't think he was like a great protagonist. I was kind of like, you're a crappy kid, and I would punish you. Um, but this movie, while Michelle is a criminal, Patricia is... Um, kind of an innocent but like clearly not totally an innocent but she's more like to me she was where i was really drawn into like i didn't associate with michelle much uh, like the way he talked about women he was very you know it's it's of the of the era but he was like oh they're all dogs they're not very pretty you know like he constantly is just trying to have sex with patricia like from the, the second he sees her he's like hey let's have sex again let's have sex again let's have sex again it's like all right dude chill out like you're you're a little pushy but Right, she's superhuman, and I was really connected to her, and to see where she was going to go because she is wavering throughout the film, and I, I I found her character and her performance especially to be uh, easy to latch onto. Um, I didn't read the synopsis. I'm going to do that real fast. But a small time thief steals a car and impulsively murders a motorcycle policeman, which was it was pretty crazy, and then. Um, Somehow they find out it's him. Like I'm, I've never been able to piece together how they would have known it was that guy, um, based on what we see in that opening sequence. But he ends up in the paper and stuff like that. So somehow they figured out it was him, um, and so he's like on the run, and yet he wants this girl to come with him because he really lo- he apparently loves her um, so much so that he's willing to risk hanging around in Paris. Uh, trying to convince her to go to Italy with him while he escapes. He's also waiting on money, but he's still like, he's clearly waiting on her at points. Um, so that's it for the spoiler free section. Unless Corey, is there anything else you want to add? No. Then let's get to spoilers. From here on out, we are going to talk about this movie in great details. You have been warned. So, um, the ending, right? Like, uh, little unexpected for me at least which part is unexpected um i guess that he well i guess it's two parts that he won't leave even though Mm. he's he won't leave but then that he gets shot because of her yes like well i was surprised that one she rats him out yeah which I wasn't totally surprised by that, but I, what surprised me was that she rats him out and then goes back and tells him that she ratted him out. And I'm just yeah. like, whoa, okay, that's a that's a twist that I wasn't prepared for. So that, yeah, he's just mad at you for five minutes. I don't know. Well, so she, we find out she's pregnant, which they hinted, there's a scene where she's um, standing outside a store window and she's looking at her reflection and she like puts her hand on her stomach. Mm-hmm. And it could have been like, like just, you know, like I'm flattening my belly kind of motion. But I, I, when I was watching, I was like, is she pregnant? And then like, sure enough, she was pregnant. I was like, all right, all right. So that's a big twist because, um, you know, she's, she's not sure how she feels about this guy. And that's kind of the, like what we find out when she tells him that confession, like I've stayed with you this long because I was trying to figure out if I loved you or not. And I guess the fact that I ratted you out says I don't. It's like, dang. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> some of her choices in this movie. I just had to keep reminding myself that she's twenty years old. <laughs> Not to say that like 
all 20 year olds are completely naive or you know irresponsible but like even that if you don't love him then just let him go (laughs) well i think part of that too is that she's not just a 20 year old french girl she's a 20 year old american girl in france going to school and i think that's important too i think there's some maybe some commentary about like the american sensibilities or uh maybe the american behavior or um even you know the like she's she's had sex with him a couple times but she still is like apprehensive about being in a relationship with him or committing to him and that's um you know it's of the era i think too is 1960 uh you know free love and all of that is is starting um but i do think uh her being american is significant to the plot i think that's it, it like in terms of her character i think that's an important detail that we can't overlook we're flighty maybe yeah like it, <laughs> yeah After we we suffer from our 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 feelings right like this is what i want right now later oh, i may yeah. not want this and i don't Instant want that attitude yeah which now we think of we associate that with cell phones but i feel like no i think that's just always been our thing is we want what we want when we want it as fast as possible is why fast food became a thing you know or like also maybe i was wondering if she made that decision to call the police on him because then the choice would just be definite or like uh, permanent well, I, I don't know no, what we're right i mean i don't think she expected him to die and that no that no ending, no which um i want to point out too uh michelle or i should give the actor's name a little bit more hang on um he has this movement he does where he rubs his thumb across his lips um he does it i think at least three times in the movie where like he'll take his thumb from the right side of his face and go across and um, she she mirrors that at the end of the movie. She does that. She's looking directly at the camera and she does the motion. Um, I found myself drawn to do that. And I don't, like, I've never done it that Like, I've wiped my lips before, but I've never done it with the way he does it with his thumb. Because it's like, it's just this weird kind of like, you're not really wiping as much as you're just rubbing across. Like, it's supposed to be like you're thinking. Um, and her doing that at the end, I think, was important. Because I think she realizes she did love him to a degree. And I don't, she definitely didn't want him to die. And like, she feels responsible, but at the same time, maybe she's got this kind of cold indifference, which he's expressed throughout. Like when he kills the cop, the only thing that he has is fear of being caught. He's not, he doesn't seem remorseful that he killed a cop in the movie, right? Like, um, he runs off, he's doing things, you know, he goes and steals money. Like he, he is, there's like no redeemable qualities about that guy. No! he's a jerk like he goes to see one girl that it seems like he slept with before and he asks if he can have however much money and she says that she doesn't have it but she offers him another amount and he says no just keep it but then he like robs her money he steals her money out of her bag yeah i don't know like um and even when uh when they sleep together in the film um she comes home and her key's gone and he's like in her bed like you know he just stole the key which that that i guess it looks like a hotel setup, but I guess it was, like, how it was done. Well, maybe hers is, like, temporary housing because she is a student or whatever. But they have, like, the key in, behind the desk instead of, like, her having her key. And that's, like, I don't know. I would never want – I'd always want to have a key on me. I wouldn't want to have, like, to stop somewhere and get a key. Uh, yeah. Or that my key's just hanging for anyone to grab and go into my apartment, you know. Yeah. Which is what happened, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
but um i really liked a lot of those scenes uh there's a scene where he sees like a humphrey bogard poster um i'm assuming it was the maltese falcon but i'm not 100 percent um but he like stops and looks at it and we get like a close-up of the poster there's obviously a lot of like, adoration um for cinema and film in this movie uh the characters are aware of movies and and film um there's a scene where she's interviewing a, an author of a book and uh some of the questions they definitely felt kind of improvised to me, which I'm sure based on what we've, we've learned about the filmmaking process for this movie, I definitely think is the case. Um, which does that sometimes in a lot of movies that doesn't work for me this one, because they're drawing attention to the fact that this is a movie that this reality is not real. I, I don't have that same complaint. I still noticed it, but I feel like that's okay. Cause that's what they want us to do. They want us to be aware that this is a movie. Um, but still, like, some of the interview, like, she keeps asking him what his amb biggest ambition in life is. And it's like, man, it's such a weird question to ask somebody. Can you imagine, like, we've had a few directors on this podcast over the years. Like, if we're, like, talking to Chris Peckover or uh, Alejandro and we're just like, what's your biggest ambition in life? It's such a, like, wow. Well, uh, again, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's ever-changing, mm. too. That yeah most likely right like right now it's to do this one thing and as soon as that thing is over i hope to have something else that i want to do right like i don't want it to yeah. end um that's but, it i'm done not a here yeah. i mean i guess like if if we're looking at like what's your biggest goal is like to have you know oh, i want to be rich and it's like well it takes a long time to get rich sometimes it's not always like one day so it's what like, is oh, rich okay. yeah, well, never enough right never especially not in today's world it seems like we always need more money but um I, I like those scenes though, and um, I'm trying to. Think, I feel like there's a couple of scenes that were like really stand out. Um, I, I like the driving sequences because of the jump cuts. I think they move a lot faster. Um, one of the I love Hitchcock, but there's a few like in Vertigo. There's a, a sequence where he's driving, like he's following her in the car, and it just it drags forever because there's no dialogue. It's just you know jimmy stewart driving cut to the reverse shot where we see the girl in the car in front of him cut back to jimmy stewart driving it's like oh man i get it he's following her i don't need to see him following her like it, <laughs> no you um, do and and it's north by northwest there's a really long driving sequence that one's a little more of a quote-unquote car chase but at the in the time when they were making it it's not the most exhilarating car chase um you know hitchcock there even psycho great driving sequence when she's driving and before she finds a base motel but it does go on for a long time if it wasn't for the amazing score that's in that movie i don't know that i could sit through the driving sequence of psycho um there is the part too where she's hearing like the, the imagining the conversations that are being had about her elsewhere um that helps though because there's spoken word and it's something to do while you're watching her pretend to drive which let's be real in the 50s and 60s when it they're looks totally pull, real it looks so fake it's like watching and the equivalent is watching people in modern movies now playing video games like if you ever want to see something that looks fake it's people playing video games and movies because they are hitting every button every second like it is like <laughs> me it is so crazy watching people play video games um but uh yeah you know so i i really enjoyed breathless um I wouldn't say it's like a revolutionary story, but it's it's that 
uh, the universality of the themes that really stand out in this movie, the, the connection of the love story, um, her being kind of torn, uh, understanding why she's drawn to such a apparently horrible person, but just because he is this kind of rebellious soul, you know, like he comes off as indifferent, nonchalant, he has, uh, he's cultured yet not, and it's, um, there's even, there's this one throwaway line where someone says, are you wearing uh, silk socks? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, with a tweed jacket? You never wear silk socks with a tweed jacket? And I'm just like, wow, that is such a random fashion thing in this movie all of a sudden. <laughs> like, because I don't know if that's true. I've never, I don't own a tweed jacket. Ew, I don't own, own silk, silk socks. socks. Ew, hey, he I likes like the way feeling. they feel on his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, I, I have uh, dry fit socks that I'm wearing when I run. And um, this is a quick aside, listeners, but I sweat a lot when I exercise like unbelievable amounts of sweat and um I ran on Tuesday with uh editor of Berkeley's uh David and I ran um together and for some reason it was like really humid that day so I was sweating more than I normally do and I had to walk um I I, he had parked up at the front of our our community and I had to walk from there to my house which is no big deal because I was already running anyways but some reason on Tuesday, I had so much sweat in my shoes that every step I took sounded like I was walking in a puddle. <laughs> oh no! And I was so self-conscious walking back because there's always people walking their dogs, and I could hear slosh, slosh every step, and I'm like, oh my god, how disgusting is this? Like I was grossed out, and it's my sweat. I don't know how it's possible. I don't know, like, I guess every drip of sweat went right into my shoe instead of, like, dripping off somewhere else. I don't understand. It's never happened. It didn't happen today when I ran. But for some reason on Tuesday, I had squishy shoes. And, like, I walked in um, to my my house and my wife was getting ready for work. And I'm like, listen. She's like, what? I'm like, listen. And, like, I stepped into the house. She's like, oh, my God, that's so gross. I'm like, (laughs) I love it. You are are so right. I don't understand how this is possible. Um... (laughs) Luckily, I have shoes just for running, so they got to sit for two days before they, because I run every other day, uh, before my feet were back in them. And it didn't, again, it didn't squish on Thursday, so I don't know what changed on Tuesday that had so much sweat in my shoe, but uh, hence, I don't wear silk socks. That's where that came from, everybody, in case you just skipped ahead for some reason. But uh, yes, because I I can't imagine silk socks would have been ruined by that sweat. I want to talk about a couple of things because we uh, did you watch that video that I sent you? Yes, I did. I sent him a Tyler, um, which is what I learned from watching Breathless. And then um, you sent because um, I'm going to probably go back and forth between both. Um, where did it go? Um, Jean-Luc Godard in French New Wave Cinema Transforming Film to this day. And mm-hmm. I four minute mini doc M2M made to measure um, is who did that video um i think that just this movement is so intriguing because and i see that like filmmakers do it today but i guess i didn't realize like how against the grain it was back then for people to be doing what they want and sometimes it was because they had the low budget but like having a small crew we've watched movies by a few directors that are like this that you know um use um is it sean baker who used his um iphone camera like just using 
whatever. And I think that it's really cool because it makes it attainable for people who maybe I don't think that only a few people should be able to make films, you know, um, and seeing that oh, I love that 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 it was back then why this started um the, the very small crews i loved when they showed like the small um interview with one of his actresses and they were asking about does he dress you like is there a wardrobe person are you oh yeah and no he let his actors and actresses dress themselves and i think that that is amazing i and, know yeah, that um sorry go ahead keep going Oh, I know that that might sound so cheesy to people, but being able to dress the way I want has always been really important to me. Like, even with the threat of school uniforms or, you know, things like that, I, I'm like, I was totally against that stuff. And I just can't imagine, like, being more confident or being more, exuding more of what you want to exude because you get to wear what you want to, to wear maybe it's familiar or maybe it's just something that you can't wear every day because it's not, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think you brought up a couple of things that really stood out to me. One, Sean Baker is a great example of a filmmaker who clearly, whether he was inspired by this uh, specific movement or he just fell into that naturally, because again, this movement became a movement because these filmmakers wanted to do what they were doing. And that's why we see this pattern. But a big part of it was uh, that, you know, not using sets, doing on location, handheld cameras. So yeah, an iPhone, modern day iPhone is going to be a built-in hand, handheld camera. Um, you see it with Aronofsky and uh, Black Swan. Um, specifically, the wrestler, though, is like full of that, you know, oh. handheld camera um, tra tracking shots, just tons and tons, which actually reminds me of 400 blows a lot. A lot of 400 blows are just a kid walking. Um, and uh, I had somebody else in mind when I was saying all these things, but, um, you know, both in Florida project, but more in Tangerine, you see that style of filmmaking, um, this kind of cinema verite, uh, you know, the camera is there, you're aware of the camera. Um, it, it's definitely, a, a really compelling film. And, um, I watched another one that I don't think I sent you. Um, one was the discarded image, Jean-Luc Godard liberated cinema, where it kind of goes more into all of his movies, not just, um, it, it gets into detail. And I really like that one. And then the one that you, the four minute one was made to, um, made to measure is the name of the, uh, the channel. So if you want to, one, give props to those. Um, well, I watched them both. I, I watched and the one you found, uh, from, the cinema Tyler. Um, I watched those three after watching breathless, but again, I was f familiar with new wave. Um, I tried to read up on all the movements. Um, I, some film classes will teach that way. Uh, they'll teach by movements cause they're somewhat chronological. Um, you also have a, a, um, I feel like Italian new wave is also, uh, the bicycle thieves is another movement. I can't remember if that's, if it's called Italian new wave. I feel like it is. Um, or something like that, but we watched Bicycle Thieves on this podcast not too long ago. Um, and there was another movie I was thinking about when when you were talking about Jean Luc Godard. Um, and Italian neorealist. Uh, ah, oh, sorry. It Ita Ital Italian neorealism, which it, it, they are similar to French New Wave, though, as far as like um, stylistically, they not so much with the editing though. The editing does not dr uh, draw attention to itself, but um, 
as far as it like it comes off as very harsh real uh actual location instead of sets and um you know the bicycle thieves is a great i see i love the bicycle thieves for like i feel like 400 blows and that are similar in terms of structure uh maybe even plot but i i love bicycle thieves where 400 blows i was like okay i it's fine um i don't not to like it just didn't make me want to keep watching it where breathless i honestly could rewatch this movie i i really found it to be compelling i really like seberg's performance um the the some of the new wave stuff i i'm a fan of continuity editing i do i do prefer the edits to be invisible um most of the time but i am conditioned with traditional filmmaking uh, as most people are um but this film after i got in the flow of it i was definitely on board with their uh, the jump cuts and stuff so um for me I, i'm ready to rate this unless there's anything else you wanted to add um no um, I, uh, I, I think this was an obvious must see, like, especially if you're really looking for film, um, to understand like how it's transformed and how it's changed and where modern day filmmakers take influence. I think this is a must see film for that. Why it's been on my gap list for a really long time. And I'm finally glad to check that box and move, uh, move it off of there and into my have seen list. I uh, knew don't think about this film. I'd heard of the director. Um, I am going to go with Musty Film too. I would suggest maybe if you also don't know a lot about it, about it to do some research before because maybe you'll appreciate it more than two. Yeah, uh, you're definitely going to notice if you've only seen traditional Hollywood style filmmaking, um, you're going to notice things that are off, like off or different. Um, and if you do the research ahead of time, that's what it'll point out those things. If you've already listened to this whole podcast, then you've heard a lot of that stuff from us. So you've kind of done research on accident. We forced it down your throat. Um, but again, no, uh, check out those videos that we mentioned, um, from those three different channels and there's tons of other ones out there. I think also though, like we, you're much more well-versed in film than I am, but like now it's not weird to us to see movies that have been filmed on location and not on like sets and stuff like that. So yeah, a lot of most, not most, but a lot of filmmakers like, Oh, I remembered the movie I was thinking of Uh, once is a really great example uh, of guerrilla filmmaking in that he was doing a lot of it quote unquote illegally because they didn't have permits to do a lot of the stuff they were doing. But um, definitely hits the I new wave. I forgot that. Uh, it's so raw, so you know, uh, not actors even. Those there, there are two musicians who were acting uh, only in that movie, to my knowledge. I don't think Hanson or or or, or whatever her Marquetta? name is. I don't, yeah, um, uh, she liked one of my Instagram posts a while back. I saw that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's rad. <laughs> oh, side note, listeners. Edgar Wright told me happy birthday after I tweeted at him begging to let me see last night at Soho. He denied that. <laughs> But he did. He did tell me happy birthday, and he made a joke, which I that made me happy because he didn't just say no. He said no X, um, which I'm assuming the X was like his signature. So I I appreciated that much attention. Um, so made my day, made my birthday. It really did. I was so stoked. I was like, oh my god, I've tweeted him many times, and this is the first time I got a response. So I was excited about that. So um, I like. I follow him too, and I think that the cool thing about so many social media platforms is that you can see like what people you follow or like are also liking or commenting on. And I'll see him like hop into people's posts uh-huh. that aren't even about him. Yeah. Or, oh yeah. 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 
you know, and he like will comment. I'm like, okay, cool. You know. Well, he's he's a true student of the art too. He he loves movies uh, a lot. Um, he's t- turned me on to many films. Uh, one that we'll be watching in a couple months. Um, Eyes oh. Without a Face. I bought on Criterion oh. because of his suggestion. Um, I've like wanted that movie, and this is gonna sound so bad, but guys, because of the cover, the Criterion cover is so intriguing to me. I know yeah. what it's about, but you know that there's just something about that cover. I get it. Uh, if, if Edgar Wright holding it up only made it more appealing to me. So um, <laughs> that's our review of Breathless. Uh, we'll move on from here next week. I'm so excited. We're watching a 2019 film, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is now on the Criterion Collection, but it's also on Hulu. Um, so uh, it is a foreign film. Um, I don't remember the country of origin. I feel like it's Spain. Um but I also think that maybe one of the characters is not Spanish. So there might be multiple languages in this one. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but um, I, I've been wanting to watch this for a while for a couple of reasons. Um, but the, the most recent like big push that made me really want to see this. Um, and I've been waiting was uh Kamel Ninjani um, in his podcast with his wife, Emily is uh, Emily and Kamel staying in, which ended after 12 episodes um their whole point it was a temporary thing while we were on quarantine i don't think they foresaw that we would continue to be in a state of like we should be on quarantine even though we are technically not but um kamel watched this while on quarantine and uh said it was one of those films that he knew instantly was a um all-time favorite for him like it just clicked with him so much and that was such a recommendation that i've been it's just been on my radar it has a 95 meta score 8.1 imdb user score um, directed by Celine Skiama. I probably said that wrong. Um, the premise is on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. Now, I don't know, is Brittany like Britain? Um, it said French that it's a French. Ah. Oh, so movie, there's another French but... movie. So it's just like all French movies this month, guys. Apparently, um, that's is cachet French. What? I mean, it's it's the the next movie after Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Cachet is. Oh, I know. was just joking, but I don't know. Uh, well, because uh, City of Lost Children is so like that will yeah. be all five. Uh, we should have called this something different. Um, but uh, hey, you know what we it gonna is do? French. Um, oh, okay. There you go. Apparently, this is French month. Um, apparently, our language is French because this is speaking my language. Uh, I do like French. Um. But uh, yeah, so we'll be watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We'd love to hear from you what you think about that film. You might have already seen it. I know the Slash Filmcast covered it a few months ago. I can't wait to finally listen to that episode. Um, I've had it in my downloads for a while, and I just keep pushing it back. I'm like, I'm going to watch it in August. Um, I bought it on Criterion Blind. So, uh, Kamel, thank you for the suggestion. Um, I know you're a listener and uh, avid subscriber. <laughs> um, but if you like the movie or if you hate the movie, let us know. Hit us up on social media. You can follow me at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Corey. At Corey RSR, two R's on the end. And if you like what you if you like what we're doing on this podcast, we ask that you rate and review. Um, it helps other listeners find the show so that they can hear our ramblings and engage with us. Uh, we are very, very grateful for all of you. Um, stay safe and keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkerViews.com